Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 13, and this morning we're going to finish the chapter. Last week we left off at verse 44. As Jesus here in this uh, chapter continues to teach the people with parables. And as we've mentioned before, parables are illustrations used by Jesus Christ in order to really teach and reach the people. He was just doing everything he could so that they could understand the spiritual realities, the insights into the invisible and so we read this morning beginning in verse 44 a couple of parables that i think are very similar in meaning because look what he says in verse 44 again the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's so cool, man. The Lord really wants to reach us. He really wants to teach us. He doesn't just want us to come to church and, and hear that guy you know, talk some impractical message you know, some religious jargon. He really wants to reach us with the realities of what's going on into the, you know, spiritual kingdom, the insights into the invisible. How does all this stuff really work? And so he gives us these parables because these are things that the people would be familiar with so that then they could understand really the truths of God's kingdom. And the two parables that we begin with today are, are such awesome awesome parables. They really teach to us the whole issue of redemption, how God has bought us to himself. You know, some people in reading these parables, they think that this is in reference to us as Christians, and we go and we sell everything and we buy, you know, salvation. But that's not what this parable teaches. It teaches us the fact that God has redeemed us, you guys, from this world you know it's kind of like you guys you get your sodas right you buy it from the store you go you you guzzle down your coke but then what ends up happening they buy it back and that's exactly what god has done with us god made us in his image in one sense we were all there in the garden of genesis chapter three but we chose our own way and as a result of that we drifted from god we fell away from God. We fell into sin. We separated ourselves from the Creator. And if we would have died in that state, we would be sent to hell forever and ever without hope. But God did not want that. God loves us more than that. God intervened in time and space. And there on the cross of Calvary, He brought us back. He bought us back with His own blood. And that's what these parables, these parables really teach. When you look at it, it's really kind of cool. You see, first of all, God's discovery. It says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. Verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Did you know that God is looking, that God is seeking, that God is searching, that the spirit of God is like the servant of Abraham who is just sent to this land to find a bride for 
Isaac to find a bride for Jesus, that the eyes of the Lord are searching for the people that would be sold out and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Please understand, you guys, what's going on right now. God is seeking to save the lost. And, you know, for most of us here, we're Christians. And, you know, we go through so many things in life. And, you know, there was a day when, you know, in one sense, God found you. And God saved you. And I think that is so cool to know that, man. That's what's going on. You know, the Bible, there's a really neat chapter in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. There's actually three stories there that tell about how that works. There's a story there, first of all, of the lost sheep. And you read that in Luke, chapter 15. And the Bible says that God is looking and longing so much to reach the people that he made that he's willing to leave the 99 and go searching for the one. One that's missing. That's the heart of God. There's a second parable there about the lost coin. And if you read that story there, it's talking about a lady who had a coin. It was valuable to her and she lost it. And so what she did literally is she searched everywhere, underneath the couch, in between the mattresses. I mean, she was moving furniture out of the house, doing everything she could to find the lost coin. And and, and that's the heart of God. He's looking, he's searching, he's seeking for his people. And then the last parable there is the parable of the lost son. And you guys probably know that. More famous, the prodigal son. And there we see the son who knew the Lord, who you know, loved the Lord, who was part of his family. But one day he decided to rebel. He said, give me my inheritance. It was like, a, a, it was like slapping his father into his face. It was almost like a Jewish expression of saying, you know what, I wish you were dead. And then he went and he lived his life. He, you know, spent his money on prostitutes and drugs and drinking, on prodigal living, until one day he sunk so low that he was eating the food with the pigs. And so what happened is he came to his senses and he says, I know I'll do, I'll go back home. Maybe I can at least become a servant in my father's farm. But when he saw his father from a distance, the Bible says that there was his father looking down that road. And the Bible says that when the father saw the son, it says he ran to him. He ran to him. And that's the heart of God. See, he's seeking. He's searching. He's longing, looking. He's finding. And that's what we see here. And it's kind of interesting. When you look at this, we see that this treasure is in the field. And the word for field, it's the Greek agros, where we get our word agriculture. It really speaks of the lowland. It really speaks of the dirt. And that's where we're at, you guys. But God is there looking in the dirt, looking for us. Why? Because the second thing we see, not only is this God's discovery, but this is God's delight. It's God's delight. I mean, you guys, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you really need to come to grips with this. If you really want to be a healthy Christian, you know, uh, for the rest of your life, you need to know how much God loves you. You are his delight. You are his treasure in the field. You are this pearl of great price. Please understand, you guys, as we read the Bible, we understand that God delights in us, his people. We are the apple of his eye. We are constantly on his thoughts. We are the object of his affection. We are the treasure in the field. We are the pearl of great price. 
And when you really realize how much God loves you, man, it just changes everything. You know, I'm reading a book that someone loaned to me. It's a really neat book. It's actually talking about dating. And uh, uh, one of the things about the book, it was just sharing how a lot of times what ends up happening is that young people, they try to look for love on this earth. And what ends up happening is they settle for second best. And, you know, so they were talking about how, you know, this person, they'll go to church and they'll hear the pastor say, hey, you know, don't do that. You know, stop sinning. Stop the sexual immorality. And the pastor would kind of try to come from that angle. But the young people of today, they don't really, unfortunately, you know, want to hear that. And, you know, we need to have both of these things coming together. But, you know, what the book was talking about is what we really need to come to grips with is that there is a greater love. There is a greater song being sung. And that's where we draw. When we realize God's love first, then all those other loves will fizzle out. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. You'll realize that sex was made by God to happen within the confines of marriage. Because you'll know a greater love. See, we really need to know the love of God. You are his treasure in the field. You are the pearl of great price. And that's what the Lord has. Some people say this refers, first of all, to the Jews, and then secondly, to the church, and that is a possibility. But in looking at this, we need to know that the Lord loves us. The Lord sees us as a treasure. And Please don't ever let that escape your thoughts. The Bible says that the Father delights in us in Proverbs 3.12. And Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, the Bible says, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You see, you are his treasure. He loves you so much. And when you have that love, then all other loves fall into place where they belong second, third, but never before the love of God. You know, you may be here today and you're thinking, no, not me. I've done this. I've done that. I am this. I, I have all these issues in my life. I've sinned. And, you know, join the club. Let me tell you, man, it's been a rough week for me. I haven't walked perfectly. Even though that's my goal, I don't always hit the target. And so when that happens, does that mean that God loves me less? No. Absolutely not. Your you know, understanding as a Christian is so important to know that God loves you unconditionally. That's agape love. And you are the treasure of his heart. We are as his people. That's the love that God has. And it's kind of cool because the pearl here is a good illustration of that. You know, a pearl in all reality is one of the unique gems of all gems. You know, you go and you get a diamond and you get some gold. And those types of jewels, they're manufactured by man, but not a pearl. What a pearl is, is that when a little uh, something gets inside an oyster, maybe it's a grain of sand, maybe it's a little bit of dirt, you know, something that doesn't belong really in an oyster, what ends up happening is within that oyster, sometimes a clam, sometimes a mussel, but usually an oyster, it gets covered with this secretion that comes from the oyster. And then it becomes a beautiful pearl. And, and, and that's what we are, you guys. We're just like little you know, pieces of, well, I don't want to say dirt, I'll say, I'll say grain. You know, we're just, we're these little, you know what we are. 
apart from God, huh? I mean, we all know what we are apart from God. We're, we're nothing. We're, we're, we're wicked. We're wretched. We're not there yet. I blow it. I, I can't believe I would blow it with my, with my wife or my kids or with my God, but I do. But I just am so grateful that God covers me with his righteousness. And that's what the Lord has done with us. And that's why the pearl is such a great illustration of that. You know, a couple other things about a pearl is number one is it can't be divided. I like that. It's not like other jewels. It's that's the church. And, you know, there's only one church. Another thing about a pearl that's kind of interesting is that it grows fairly slow. And uh, that's what we usually do too. Don't get frustrated, you guys. Don't get frustrated with where you're at. You just continue to show and you continue to grow. You continue to look up and you'll continue to grow up because God is doing a work in our life. And God delights in you. And we see this in the parables, how God discovers this whole thing, how God delights in us. And then secondly, thirdly, how God dies for us because notice it says in these parables that this man found and hid and for joy over it look what he says he goes and he sells all that he has we see the same thing in verse 46 who when a man found it one pearl of great price he went and sold all that he had see this is the insights into the invisible this is the spiritual reality these are the truths of god's kingdom that when it comes to us as his people That God has discovered us, that God delights in us, and that God died for us. He sold everything that he had. That's really what that means. It speaks of the kenosis. We read that in Philippians chapter 2, in which God emptied himself of his privileges. The Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 6 that he made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself. And I don't know if you really know what that means, man, but the more you study about God, the more you realize how amazing that is. Because if you could visualize for a second the whole universe, all the galaxies, it's a huge place. And there, ruling over it all, is God. He made everything. He controls everything. He maintains everything. He's over everything. He's sufficient in and of himself. But what he did is he stepped off that throne. And then he traveled, man, through the galaxies into this you know, teeny, tiny little planet. <laughs> and he was planted into the womb of Mary. There he was, the size of a grain of rice. That's what God did. He sold everything. He emptied himself of his privileges. And then God was nailed to a cross. He gave his life. And that's really what we see here, you guys. The kenosis, the cross, how he redeemed us, how he bought us back. And bottom line is, if he wasn't willing to pay the price, none of us would be saved. He bought us back, and I'm just so grateful for that. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, we look at things nowadays and they're, you know, a lot of times valued by the cost involved. And how much is, you know, is that a nice car? Oh, yeah, it's, it costs $240,000. It's a nice car. Oh, is that a nice house? Yeah, you know, 10, 20 million, of course. You know, we value things by the price that's paid. And please understand when it comes to you, that you are not redeemed with gold or silver. 
God didn't take the galaxies and trade them in for you. It wouldn't have been enough. He paid his blood. And that just shows you how valuable you are. You know, nowadays we hear in our world a lot of talk about self-esteem. You know, when people are struggling with their own worth. And, you know, some do better, some do worse. And they struggle with, you know, whether or not they're valuable. And so, you know, they want to hear words of affirmation, which are fine. And they, you know, want to have people around them who kind of, you know, flatter them or build them up sometimes. And that's cool, I guess, if that's where the Lord leads you. But, you know, I don't need self-esteem that way. As a matter of fact, I won't find it that way. My self-esteem comes from the fact that God bought me with his blood, that God loves me, and that will never, ever change. And we just need to know that. As a result of that, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? God. Are you your own? So does that mean that since you belong to God, who should you be following? You shouldn't be doing your own thing. Huh? Why? Because God has bought you. And that just gives us the last point here, that we belong to God, that we are his disciples. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20 says, And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. And that's just the reality of what these parables teach you guys. You look at these, and it's so cool. It's so amazing to think, you know, and you can visualize that. And that's why it's so cool when the Lord gives the illustrations. The guy's, you know, looking for beautiful pearls. He's a merchant seeking for beautiful pearls, and he finds one that's so beautiful. And so he goes, he sells everything that he has, and he buys that pearl. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's kind of like we even see in the Old Testament. Uh, some of you here are probably familiar with the story of Ruth, right? And remember what happened there in the book of Ruth, how Ruth came back to uh, the nation of Israel. And as she was there, you know, things were, were crazy. They, they didn't have anything. They were, you know, there and they had lost everything as a result of the deaths that took place in the family. And so what had happened was there was a, a man in the family. His name was Boaz and he was kin. And so what happened was Boaz was working in conjunction with the plans of God, the purposes of God, the sovereignty of God. And what had happened was there was that offering there and Boaz, in the end, he bought the land. He bought everything. He redeemed it. And in that redemption, he got Ruth. And that's what the Lord has done for us. He bought everything so that in that purchase, we get to belong to him. And it's so cool, man, when you look at this and you understand it. First of all, we look at our study today and we see, number one, the redemption. The second thing we see here that it's very important as well is the inspection. Because look what we read next in verse 47 of Matthew 13. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away and so it will be at the end of the age the angels will come forth separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth you see first of all the redemption we see now in one sense the 
inspection. You know, when you look at the invisible insights into the kingdom, when you look at the spiritual realities that are going on, you guys, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a guy, you know, a fisherman, and he just casts his big net into the sea, okay? And then he pulls the net out, and as he, you know, pulls it to shore, he then goes and he looks at all these fish, and there's an inspection going on. Some are good fish, some are bad fish. The good fish, they get bundled into the baskets, but the bad fish are burned. The bad fish are destroyed. And that's the way it is when it comes to this whole thing regarding the kingdom, you know. We talked a little bit about this last week, how there is a heaven and how there is a hell. And God repeats it. These things are repeated so that we won't be defeated, you know. I remember, even in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, do you guys remember when the Lord called Peter and James and John? There they are, they're fishing, right? They're on the shore, they're with their father in the boats. And then Jesus comes by and he calls them and says, Hey, you guys, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, this whole thing, when you look at the parables, is kind of interesting. It's like the farming and the finding and the fishing. That's really what's going on. If you can't visualize all the things that are going on in the world today, it's kind of like someone is going fishing. God is going fishing. And so is the devil. So is the devil. And that's why we have to make sure that we don't bite on the wrong bait. Because if you bite on the wrong bait, you're going to get hooked. What you want to do is just follow the Lord. You want to serve the Lord. You want to make sure that in the end, you are the one gathered into the basket. You are the wheat in the barn. You will die and go to heaven and not hell. You see, and what's the difference here? You know, well, he says right there in verse 48, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels but through the bad away. You just want to make sure that you are a good guy, a good gal, and not bad. And so you're here and you're thinking, well, what do I do? I, I, we already talked about this, didn't we? I, I'm not good. I'm a sinner. I blow it every day. Well, it's not your goodness that God's going to be looking for on that day. He's going to be looking for the goodness of Jesus Christ. You remember when they came to Jesus and they said, good teacher, you know, and the Lord said, hey, no one's good but God. See, no one is good. The Bible does say that as a matter of fact. In the book of uh, Romans, it tells us that there is none that are good. No, only God is good in Romans chapter 3, verse 12. And so how can I be good? Well, the answer is, is that when you come to Christ, he changes your standing. He makes you good not by you know practice necessarily that takes time but instantly by position and so question for you today you guys just uh, you know straight out examination are you a good guy are you one who has given your life to christ have you truly surrendered and yielded your life to him or are you bad are you a wheat or are you a tear are you a wolf or are you a sheep? Are you a saint or are you an ain't? There's only two. And we have to choose who we will follow. Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You've got to make a commitment. God wants more than that. And we need to have that understanding. 
And as we give our life to him, it's so cool, he makes us good. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And God is willing today to make you good because God is good if we simply yield our life to him. If not, if we choose not to follow God, if we choose instead to follow our own life and and road and, and route, then this is a simple fact. God will honor your decision. You say, I don't want God. I want my own way. And God will say, okay, one day the angels will come and they'll separate the wheat from the chaff and God will honor your decision. God has a place. We read about it in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, where the Bible says, if your name's not written in the book of life, you'll be cast into the fire with the devil and the Antichrist and all those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible teaches. And God warns us because the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And so God warns us so that we will not go there. And so we read through this, and again, man, so much here. We've got, you know, the parables there of the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. We've got the redemption. We've got the, uh, you know, truths regarding the inspection. And then we've got, thirdly, the instruction. Because look what happens here in verse 51. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brought out of his treasure things new and old. And so we have now, in one sense, the instruction, the end of the parables now. Okay, so we've gone through all these different parables, right, you guys? We've gone through seven parables. Can I ask you a question? Do you understand all these things? <laughs> You're all, yeah, nah, you probably don't. <laughs> We're trying, though, right? You guys are trying to understand what all these things mean. It's so important that we do our best to understand. As a matter of fact, we read that over and over again in the book of Matthew. We see it here in Matthew chapter 13. Even look back at verse 19. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. It's important that you guys don't just come to church and like, oh, I don't have a clue what that meant. I know sometimes it's my fault. I understand you guys. But, you know, if you don't understand it, come up and ask. Maybe together we can discover what it means. But whatever you do, don't walk out the doors not knowing what you just studied. We need to understand it. It's very important. We see Jesus ask them straight out, do you understand it? If you don't understand it, Then the wicked one comes and he snatches away what was just sown in your heart. That's not good. We read the same thing if you look over to Matthew chapter 16. Look what it says in verse 11. Jesus said, how is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? They started doing things that were weird. Why? Because they didn't understand. We really need to understand these things. As a matter of fact, look over in Matthew 24. It says in verse 15, Matthew 24, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him 
understand. God really wants you to know what the Bible teaches. He really wants you to understand it. So that, number one, you can live it. And number two, you can share it. And that's the, you know, the responsibility of a scribe. He says every scribe, you know, it's kind of like a guy who's a householder and he brings out things that are new and things that are old. And you know what that's in reference to? The Bible. We've got the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. And as we study God's word and as we understand God's word, then we go out into the highways and the byways and we share God's word with the people that God brings into our path. You know, I just want to encourage you guys to really get into the word. In this Bible right here, it's so cool. You guys come. You know, not every church, you know, it's kind of funny. Not every church teaches the Bible. You know, sometimes you go to churches and they just, man, they'll just tickle your ears. They'll give you a little bit of entertainment, you know, some rhetoric, some, you know, fancy fancy speech and stuff like that. And they don't really teach you the Bible. It's so cool that when you guys come, you bring your Bible. And we just work our way through the scriptures. Why? Because this is where it's at. We're not searching after truth. We are searching into truth. The truth is not out there. The truth is right here. And as God gives us the Old and the New Testament, then man, scribes, we understand it. And then we go and we share it with other people. It's such a cool thing when you see what the Lord teaches us here. I remember reading in the book of Acts chapter 8. You guys remember the story there of the Ethiopian eunuch? And he's there reading the book of Isaiah. He's got the scroll of Isaiah. He's got his nice limousine, right? And he's going back home. He just got done visiting the temple. And he's reading Isaiah 53. And the Spirit of the Lord told Philip, this guy doesn't have a clue what he's reading. And so Philip went up to him and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I unless someone teaches me? And you guys have been taught the word of God. And some of you here really know the Bible well. I want to encourage you to use that gift, to go out and to share with people the word. This is what the parables are all about. We learn all these truths, we apply them, and we are just distributors. You know, that's what teachers do, right? They just give out what God has given to them. You go out, man, and you share God's word with the people. You know, the next thing we see here in verse 53 is the rejection. Because look what happens. It's so amazing. It says, now it came to pass... When Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. According to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, after Jesus shared the parables, he went across the sea, took care of a couple of things, And then he went back to Nazareth, which was his hometown. That's where all his homeboys were. That's where he grew up, right? And as he was there teaching in their synagogues, people were tripping out. They said, no, he can't be who he claims to be. We remember him. This is just the carpenter's son. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. And as a result of their closed heart, they rejected Jesus Christ. 
and they perished in their sins. You know, it's been said that familiarity breeds contempt. And that's so true, you guys. You know, they knew Jesus. They had been around Jesus. And what should have been a privilege, being so close to the prophet, became a pitfall. And they were closed to the prophet. And as a result of that, they rejected the love that God had for them. You know, some people say, you know what, I don't know about this Christian stuff. I've been doing it for so long and it's getting kind of stale. Or there are some kids, you know, and and you hear this so many times, they grew up in the church. And as a result of that, they think they have an excuse not to be on fire for God. Why? Because they've been so close to these things all their life. And so what should have been a privilege became a pitfall. They were so close, they became closed. God, help us not to have that in our heart. You know, if we come close to Christ, make sure that you're not just dabbling with the outside of things. Make sure, you guys, that we're not just here as attenders and pretenders and that, you know, we're just, you know, going through the motions and yet there's really no heart, there's really no connection. You know, this is about the glory of God. This is about Jesus Christ who was nailed to the cross. This is about you and I being set free to live a life that is worthy of such a great salvation. And this is about you and I going out and going fishing. You and I sharing the love of God with the people that God brings into our path. You and I making right decisions and then those decisions making us into upright citizens of integrity. Men and women who love the Lord. Husbands that are godly. Wives that are godly. Parents that are proper. See, this is real stuff. I just want to make sure, you guys, that we know what's going on here. This is not a social thing. This is the Lord working in his people because of the love that he has for the lost. You know, the other day we had the opportunity to go to APU, Azusa Pacific University, and they had the choir there, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And man, I, you know what? We were just praising God. We were, we were like in heaven, and it was so awesome, you know? And you lift your hands, and you're praising God, and you're seeking God, and you're surrendered to God, sold out to God. And yet, you know, sometimes I think what ends up happening is we're real reserved, you know, we're real like, oh, okay, you know, and, uh, and then this, you know, the Lord just raises up a ministry like that that knows what this is all about. This is more than just singing. This is worship to God. This is heaven on earth. There's more than just kind of going through the motions. But we have to catch that vision, you guys. We can't be embarrassed to be Jesus freaks. We can't. Because the Bible says that if you're embarrassed of him, then he'll be embarrassed of you. We really need to make sure that we know what's going on here. These people right here, unfortunately, they rejected Jesus, just like most today reject Jesus. It's kind of interesting. I was going through some different books on this whole thing. And there, you know, there's the net, and they cast the net into the sea, and they pull all these fish through. And really what that symbolizes is the church visible. You know, around the world, they say in America, 83% of the people in America are Christians. That's not true, huh? You guys know that's not true. You know, and so I was reading through the Bible, and it's kind of interesting. You know, the Bible says that we read earlier the parable of the soil, the soil, the, the seed and the sower. And, you know, 75% were not right. 75% of the people that go to church? Yeah. They gave another illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It talks about how 
you know, the Lord brought all these people out of Egypt, and it looked so cool. Three million people came out of Egypt. But what does the Bible say? With most of them, God was not well pleased, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God killed them. And that's why it's so important that we take these things seriously. God loves us. God warns us. God did all the work to redeem us. Now this is all he's asking for. Give me your life. I gave you my life to set you free because of the love that I have. Now you, give me your life. And as we exchange with the Lord, it's an amazing thing what God will do. Here these people, it's so sad, man. It's just so sad. You know, Jesus is there and he's sharing words like no man has ever shared. And, you know, the wisdom and the works, it says right there in verse 44. But, you know, they would just say he's just a common laborer. I mean, he's just the carpenter's son. He's never been to school. And, you know, in the Jewish setting, to bring up your mom would be a social slander. They were giving derogatory statements about the Lord at this point. And they rejected him. And as a result, what ended up happening, the Bible says, he could do no mighty works there. And that's where we'll close today, you guys. As we read the scripture, I just want to close with a moment of reflection, man. I pray that that verse right there, 58, would not be your epitaph. It was the epitaph of Nazareth. He could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. I just pray you and I would believe. You know, believe with all your heart. Believe in God who is good. Believe in God who is love. Believe in God who is holy. Believe in God who is able to do anything. We have to have that in his heart. Believe in God whose word is true so that we can have that faith that will move mountains and will change the world that we live in. You know, faith is absolutely fundamental In our life as Christians, it's been said that faith builds a bridge from this world to the next. I like that. It builds a bridge from this world to the next, not only saving us, but sanctifying us. And it's not just faith in faith, it's faith in God, the object of our faith who is the faithful one over all our lives. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, faith is so important for us to see the Lord move in our life. I know some of you ladies are going to the study and you're learning how to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's an important lesson for all of us, you guys. As we believe, the Bible says that God will do a work. As a matter of fact, let me just share a couple of Quick verses before we have communion. If you go back to Matthew chapter 8, look what it says in Matthew 8, verse 13. It says, And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. What are you facing today? What are the mountains in your life? What are the things that are impossible in your life? Well, you need to believe. And as you have believed, the Bible says, So it will be done for you. Unto you. We see the same thing in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. It says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. You see, it's not that God can't, 
God can do anything, and God is willing to do anything, and God is willing to pour out His Holy Spirit, and God is willing to do these miracles in these days that we live in, but He is looking for people who really will take Him at His word and will believe the things that He has revealed to us. And so I just pray, man, that you and I would go and we would live by faith, we would walk by faith, we would see by faith, we would change by faith, and that God will really get a hold of your heart today. If you're here today and your heart's been cold and you feel distant, then right now you need to take a step of faith. And the Bible says that if you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you and he will do a work. And then, then from there, you just continue to feed your faith, man. Continue to be in the word. Continue to come back to Bible studies, maybe even on a Sunday night or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or however the Lord would lead you. It's been said that he who feeds his faith the words of life will starve his doubts to death. And you know, it's those doubts, it's that unbelief that hinders us so many times. I don't know about you, but I still believe in a God who can save anybody. I mean, if he could save me, then he can save anybody. And God will do this work. And so let's walk in that light, you guys, today. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to study it together, Lord. And just different things, Lord, that in, in one sense might have different applications, but we are, are grateful for your word and the different things that you teach us, Lord. And as we partake of communion now, Lord God, together, I pray that we would just search our hearts, that we would know your love, and that we would surrender our lives to your love. We just thank you so much. May you bless this time as we partake together in Jesus' name. And so we're going to pass out.